Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Mental Toughness and Body Show. On this show, we're going to talk about creating high-performance teams. We're going to talk about mental toughness, resilience, uh, creativity, workplace well-being. Now, most people show up to work leaving their full potential behind. That's how I, I really find it. And people, I think, need to become more mentally tough. And our guest today is going to blow you away with his insights as he is one of the world's leading authorities on the intersections between workplace well-being, uh, resilience, creativity, and creating those high-performance teams. Now, obviously, on this podcast, we've interviewed people from uh, billionaires, A-list celebrities, and from all walks of life. But today, we have a keynote speaker, best-selling author, Akash. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Rob. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So Akash, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and why it is that you chose to to work in this this field. I'm really excited to get into this with you because it's a, a real real passion of my own. Uh, I I grew up in a in a country in East Africa called Tanzania. Uh, born and raised in Tanzania, studied in Kenya. I now live in Hong Kong, and what I do primarily for work is I travel around and I give keynote speeches. When companies have large conferences they usually have an external speaker to motivate and inspire the team. I'm that guy. But the thing that sets me apart is I don't motivate people and go, you can do this because I've done this, I've climbed Mount Everest, and so you can too. I don't have any specific big challenges that I've overcome in my life. I haven't climbed mountains. I haven't built a billion-dollar business. But what I realized was in my daily life, when I was working a corporate job, there were small challenges that I was facing challenges around how to get my team to meet the results, challenges around how do you deal when a client says no to you. And I thought those things are the things that most people struggle with, those daily challenges. So I start, started studying self-improvement and I discovered some science-backed tools which really helped me. And I'm the kind of person, Rob, when I find an idea that resonates with me, that has been helpful in my life, I can't wait to share it with others. I want to share it, yes. I want to share it. I want, I want other people to have it. It's a gift that I want to give. And my wife will tell you that I love discussing research and science and boring her to death. And I discovered there was an entire industry out there where I could get paid to do this stuff. So yeah. I honed my public speaking skills. I joined something called Toastmasters International, which is a society where you get up on stage and you hone your public speaking skills. Practice, yeah. In my first year with Toastmasters, I gave 150 speeches. And mm -hmm. that's a speech about one every two, three days. And I right. got really good at it. And suddenly clients started reaching out saying, hey, can you come talk to our employees about, about storytelling, public speaking, influence, and then later employee well-being and resilience? Yeah, terrific. So given that you love the science and so forth, it sounds like you're a little bit like me. You're, you're quite left brain and you like to get into the detail of that and understand all of that. So why don't we jump into mental toughness or resilience by you know, lack of better words. Uh, so you've, you've done some really great work here. So maybe to start off with, how important do you think mental toughness is in, in today's world, in business and just for people in general? Mm. I think maybe we can start by defining what mental toughness or resilience is. Um, sure. So I think the general definition of resilience or mental toughness is bouncing back, bouncing back from adversity. And that's the definition that I used to use. But I've since then started to redefine what resilience is. Um, and you can tell me what resonates with you. 
So one of the definitions that I came up with is instead of bouncing back, we're bouncing forward. We're encountering some sort of difficulty, adversity, whether that's physical, emotional, uh, in your business, uh, in your personal life, and you're using that adversity uh, to proceed in your business. Uh, the other definition that I have is this. I think there are three versions of us that exist in us. There are three versions. The first version is who are you when you're at your best self? The second yeah. version is who are you typically? And the third version is who are you when you are at your worst? Mm -hmm. um, when we go for interviews, that's when we present our best self. When we're in a long-term relationship with a company or with our spouse, that's when we typically behave a certain way. That's our typical self. How do you normally behave on an average day? And then who are you at your worst self? When you are at your lowest, when things don't go your way, who are you at your worst? I think resilience is two things. Resilience, number one, is having your worst self and raising the standard on what that means. So for example, if at your worst self, you're the kind of person that lays around in bed, you eat mm. chocolate chip cookies, you feel sad and unhappy and you're angry and you're negative, raising the bar just a little bit on who you are at your worst. So maybe instead of laying around in bed the whole time, perhaps you give yourself a shorter period of time to do that. And then yep. you escalate to your typical self and then you come to your best self. Resilience to me is moving from your worst self to your best self as quickly as you can and raising the standard on what that worst self is and increasing that so that you're not as bad as you used to be. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think uh, for me, uh, like we've all lived through certain experiences and I think uh, life, I don't know, I think you have to practice a lot of things every single day. Now, I was, I was bullied a lot as a kid and um, yeah, and that didn't do wonders for my self-esteem or self-confidence when I was a, a young boy. And then unfortunately, you take that into adulthood uh, as well, into a young adulthood, and you've kind of got to recondition yourself. And I used to play the victim a lot in my own mind. I never verbalized it any, anywhere. Uh, I guess I was brought up in a time when, well, I, I was in, it was in the 80s. So it was a time when you were just like, well, you just have to suck it up. You know, you, did, you didn't talk about it. Men certainly didn't talk about their feelings and that kind of thing. And uh, I found that I had to uh, find my own way way through it. And then I discovered how to do that and how to build my, my self-esteem. And I, I chose to do that through uh, fitness and through joining the gym and changing the physical me so that I could feel better about myself. And then through that, I learned some other skills as well over the, the decades, I suppose, to uh, just practice resilience. And then by the time, uh, I guess, COVID came around, I thrived during COVID because, I mean, we were, I'm in Melbourne, Australia here. We were shut down more than any city in the world, like over 300 days, over six different lockdowns for ex extended periods of time. And I thrived in it because I felt like I had practiced all of these really tough things. And when it was, uh, you know, a really tough moment, it was like, okay, well, what do we do? Like you were saying, we don't stay in bed. You, you know, plenty of people gained weight and just binge watch Netflix. I was up at 5 a.m. and I was doing stuff every single day, really, really focused. Um, so I, you know, I like how that you've um, you verbalized that. So obviously, you do work with uh, with teams as well. So taking those principles that you've just said and you go into a, 
well, let me start with this question. So you're going into, say, a corporation and you're, you're challenged with how do we raise the performance of this team? What's that sort of process that you go through? Because obviously the team is made up of many different dynamics. Yeah, when, when a corporation hires me, it's, I think, resilience. We're talking about resilience to stress with most corporations and resilience to adversity. The challenge is there's no definition of what stress is. You can look at the academic definition. We all know what stress is, but it means different things to us. Yeah. The stress of losing a loved one is very different than the stress that you encounter at a deadline when you have to work, you know, work overnight to submit a project. And because stress varies so much, I think resilience itself is not one thing. Resilience is a bunch of different qualities. It is your mindset to stress. Do you see stress as positive or negative? It is the optimism that you have. Do you think that you can make things work or do you think that the situation that you're in right now is permanent? It is also, uh, how do you see yourself? Do you have the self-confidence that you can overcome difficult situations or do you doubt your ability to grow? Do you have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? The first thing that I do is I try and analyze what are the sources of stress that exist in this organization? What is everyone stressed about? What is the challenge that is forcing them to perhaps struggle? And then once we've found that source of stress, we look at uh, several different measures. One of them is uh, your self-care. What does your self-care routine look like? Mm. How much are you sleeping? How much are you exercising? How long are you working? Do you feel you have a healthy work-life balance? What is your view of stress? Do you think stress is positive or negative? And based on that, we create a program that addresses some of these things. So I can talk about, for example, right now, we can talk about your definition of stress and how that impacts your resilience, if you'd like. Yeah, sure. Well, perhaps before we get into that, what um, you said, so identifying the, the source of the stress. So how do you do that? Do you like, do you sit with people? Do you observe? Do you, like, is it questionnaires? Like, how do you, how do you extract all that with the, you don't have to give away your IP, but just to get an under, so the audience can understand. Uh, there's there's a quiz that I created in conjunction with uh, a trained psychometrist. Uh, one of the questions is an open-ended question. What challenges do you, do you face? What is your biggest source of stress? And so when people answer those open-ended questions, we're able to extract the data they've given us and put it into different categories to understand what really is stressful about this situation. One of right. the companies that I was working with the biggest source of stress was the workload that they had. A different organization that I worked with was not the workload. The biggest source of stress was the leader that they had and the yeah. demands the leader had on that team. And so that requires a different way of approaching how you you deal with that stress in the first place. Right. Gotcha. Um, now, I've forgotten what you said before, but we're, yeah, happy to get, talk into the, the second part. Uh, which is um, so there's different elements that go into this uh, one of the one of the things that I find particularly fascinating is the mindset that you have about stress yes that's yeah, yeah good point so if I was to ask you right now Rob do you think stress is harmful to your health what's your first answer what comes to your head I, I would say no for me personally no, no. that's very that. interesting mm. uh, why why do you say that well, I think um, if you had have asked me, say, 20 or 30 years ago, I would have said, oh, yeah, stress is 
it doesn't feel good. But for me now, I know that in order for me to to grow, and it's only because I I've probably swapped from say I've worked nineteen years in in big corporates here in Australia, and running my own business. The corporate mindset is very different to the business mindset. And I know in order for me to be successful, it means I've got to step out of my comfort zone and like having these conversations uh, uh, with you here. It's like there, 30 years ago, there's no way I would have been like public speaking or doing any of that. But I realized that stress, for lack of better words, means me getting out of my comfort zone. So if I feel that, it means, okay, you're about to grow. That's a, that's very interesting. Most people don't have that mindset. And so when I work with corporate employees, um, I ask them two questions. These two questions come from a study that was done. Uh, in this study, they looked at, I forget the exact number of people, but they looked at this large data set and they looked at the answer to two questions. The first one, how much stress have you experienced in your life? The second question was, uh, how harmful do you think stress is to your health? Now, here's the results when they correlated how much stress someone had experienced versus how likely they were to die an early death the more stress you had the more likely you were to die prematurely yes and they looked at a death by looking at the public records of who died from the people that had taken that uh, survey yes now that's the bad news the more stress you have the more likely you are to die and that's what you see in the media the media portrays this idea that stress is incredibly harmful uh, stress is increasing, killing your immune system. Increased stress leads to burnout. Stress means that your, your, your body is dying an early death. And that's what we mainly see. And I don't think that's wrong, but that's not the whole equation. Yeah. There's another side to the story. The second question was fascinating, which is how harmful do you think stress is to your health? And when they looked at people who said stress is not harmful to my health or not very harmful, and they had high levels of stress, they were no more likely to die than people who had low levels of stress. I'll repeat, people right, who okay. had high levels of stress but did not believe that stress was harmful to their health were no more likely to die than people who had very low stress. And it was the belief that you had that stress was harmful that was partially responsible for why certain people were experiencing these negative conditions. The researchers then go, okay, maybe it is the fact that people who say stress is not harmful have a different quality of stress. Maybe they're just not as stressed out. Maybe the life circumstances are better. And they examined all that data and comes back, no, you know what? These people still had extreme levels of what you would call stressful conditions in their life. And yet they had a certain belief that, you know what? Stress is a normal part of life. It is something that everyone goes through. And instead of damaging my body, it might actually be beneficial because it gives me energy to deal with this situation at hand. And so one of the training that we do is to try and recondition people's mind as, yes, you want to lower the amount of stress you have, but a lot of the time you will be in situations where that is not possible. Yes. You have an impending deadline. You're a new parent. Uh, you have to wake up in the middle of the night. You have uh, your parent and you have to go to work. There's no way that we can lower the stress. In which case, what we can do is we can reframe our mindset around stress and see that as a positive thing, or at yep. least not a negative thing. And that will counteract the negativity that we have in terms of outcomes. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? That that old saying, uh, if you believe you can, or if you believe you can't, both are right. Yeah. And it's that, that power of the mindset. 
Yeah, nice. Um, let's um, perhaps dig into your mindset for for a little bit. What would you say is a belief that you once held really strongly, but you've since changed your mind? Ask me that one more time, please. So a belief that you've once held strongly, I know so the sky is blue, but now you've changed your mind. That's an interesting one. Um, and I've never been asked that before. I'm sure there's a lot of places where I've changed my mind. Um, but the one that that's coming to mind right now is this idea of being positive. I think when I started in this self-improvement industry, uh, first for myself to try and improve who I was as a person and overcome some of the challenges that I was facing, I read a lot of books and listened to a lot of talks that talked about the power of positivity. Mm. Um, that when you're positive, good things happen in your life. If you believe that you can, it will come to be true. I think I've since then changed my mind around that. And I'm beginning to see the difference between positivity and optimism. <clears throat> and I think there's a very clear difference between the two. I'll give you an example of what I call almost toxic positivity. Toxic mm -hmm. positivity is the person that has failed every job they have. They don't have the work ethic. They have never had the discipline to follow through on the things that they say they would. And yet they say, you know what, I'm going to build a billion dollar business. Yes. And I have unfortunately friends around me that have this very positive mindset that uh, this year, Akash, I am going to make a multi-million dollar business. And I've seen them every year switch different industries. They started yeah. out in sales and then they started out in multi-level marketing. And then when they went to real estate and I think they, one of the reasons they do that is they believe that you have to be positive. The more positive you are, um, the more likely good things they are that are going to happen to you. I think positivity in itself does not guarantee success. And in fact, it can be toxic because it, for, it, it, it means that you are not looking at reality as is. You are looking at reality as how you want it to be, but not necessarily the one that is there right now. Yes. The, the thing that I now rather prefer is optimism. Optimism is this. Optimism is looking at the situation and going, you know what? I've never had the discipline to do anything. I've never built a business. I've never made $10, let alone a million dollars. But now that I know the reality, I can go, you know what? I am a loser. I don't know what I'm doing. I need certain discipline. But I am optimistic that I can change myself. And if I change myself, I will somehow figure this out. I will fail along the way. And you're looking at the fact that, yes, a billion dollar business when I've not done $10 in revenue is not likely. But if I start small, I believe that I have the power to change. And if I change, ultimately, I will end up in a better place than I am right now. So I would say I've moved away from being positive to being optimistic. And optimism means looking at reality and believing that you have the capacity to change. That's right. It's got to be backed by action, doesn't it? Otherwise, you just walk around and say, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Or those people that you just, they just keep going to. Uh, conferences or they just keep reading a new book and say, oh, have you read this book? It's like, how about you stop reading the books and you do something about it? Um, so let's talk about the like the self-improvement slash coaching type industry. 
everybody these days is calling himself a coach. Like there are so many people out there saying, yeah, I'm a coach on this and that and the other. There's a, a lot of inauthenticity on social media and so forth. How do, or what's your view on that? And how do you go about uh, having your personal brand, your business brand stand out from everybody else? So two questions that I see there. First is, what do I think of the industry where everyone is calling themselves a coach? Uh, second is, how do I go about building my own brand and differentiating myself? I think the coaching industry is an interesting one because I think to be a coach, what you need to do is you need to have a desire to help people, which I think a lot of people do. And second, you need to be better than the person that you're coaching. You don't need to, so if you're a boxing coach, you don't need to be the best boxing coach in the world, but you need to be better than the person that shows up at your gym. And so I think it's a great thing that people are interested in coaching. I think it's a great thing that everyone's going out there and calling themselves a coach uh, because number one, they want to help people. And I assume that they have some level of skill set in order to help people. It yes. may not be world-class skills, but I would assume that if you're in that industry, that you have some level of expertise, some level of experience. I think where it gets very shady is when you try and get clients for your practice using some of the tactics that perhaps work very well on social media, but don't really help people. I'll give you an example. Let's take going to the gym as an example. Rob, you and I both know that working out is a very simple thing to do. There are certain exercises that you can do, do in the gym squat, bench, deadlift, lift, lift weights, get progressively stronger over time, that will get you results. But if a coach went out there and posted that on social media, it's not going to get many likes, not yeah. many views, it's boring, and it's dull. So what some of these other coaches end up doing is they're trying to attract clients by being different. And the way they're being different is being different for the sake of being different. So they will have a BOSU ball, They'll stand on this unbalanced surface. They will have a, a bar behind their back. They'll they raise one leg. And yeah. they'll, they'll do all of this really crazy creative stuff mm. for getting attention to be different. And it works and it gets them clients, but it doesn't get them the res it doesn't get clients the results that they want. So I don't think people being a coach is a bad thing. I think what the, what the thing we need to be careful of is the way we market ourselves. Being different is good, but not being different for the sake of being different. Yes. The second question you asked me is, uh, how do oh, I go oh. about building my brand? Um, there's several things that I do. Um, I think the most important one is, in terms of clients, um, I write books. The thing that I'm very good at is sitting down and writing. That is my skill set. That is my superpower. I am not a natural speaker, but I'm a natural writer. I find it very easy to write and it's where I clarify my thoughts. And so I write books on subjects that I care about and that I research and I can go back and edit and look over and make sure that it is exactly what I want to say. And then I publish those books and I sell those books on Amazon. I've got 15 different books that have sold 250,000 copies. Clients read those books and people that resonate with the messages in those books are the ones that reach out and say, you know what, Akash, we really want to work with you. As far as what makes me different, uh, the thing that I found is I like to operate at the intersection of different topics. So there's one level of expertise where you can choose one specific topic and you can go really, really deep into that topic, 
Um, if I was to think of someone like that, I might say Dr. Peter Atia comes to mind, who's built a name for himself as the longevity expert. He talks about medicine and right. Um, I know that I will never be as good as Peter Atia when it comes to uh, uh, it comes to medical well-being. But what I do is I operate at the intersection of several different topics. I care about habits. I care about well-being. I care about storytelling. And I am a person that is able to take four or five different topics and look at the commonalities between them and say, hey, if you're looking for a coach or a speaker that can help you with well-being habits in the workplace and can bring along some tools to help you with persuasion in the workplace, then I'm the guy for you. Yeah, nice, nice. What would you say has um, because I think we can we can learn a lot from uh, from people. What would you say has been your biggest failure and what what you learned from that? Going a bit dark for a moment. I've never shared this, but the first time that I started a business, um, I made some mistakes. I made some big mistakes in my life. There was a time I tried to start a business and I had very limited amount of money. I bought this office space. It was all the money that I had. Sorry, I rented an office space. It was all the money that I had. I was running short in cash, but renting that office space meant that I didn't have much money for where to live. So I gave up my apartment and I started living out of my office. Yeah. Uh, I'd go there in the morning. Uh, I'd do my work. And then at night when no one was watching, I'd take my little blanket, I'd take my pillow and I'd sleep in the office. Yeah. Within about two weeks, um, the owners of the place caught me. Uh, they walked in at about 5 a.m. in the morning. Uh, they threw open the doors and they started screaming at me. Uh, and one of the partners said they were going to call the police because I'd violated the terms and conditions of the office space, that it was not a place where I should be living. Um, long story short, they kicked me out. They kicked me out without returning my deposit. Oh, I, rem wow. I remember taking my blanket and this red Ikea pillow that I had, walking over to the nearest park, sitting down on this park bench and just crying into this red pillow and going, how did I end up here? Yes. How did I get to this place? What mistakes have I, ha have I made so far? that have caused me to be here. Homeless, jobless, all the ambitions that I had completely failed. And I had to take a good look at myself and start and stop blaming other people for my failures and go, you know what, this is me. Some of it may not be my fault, but what am I going to do about it? How am I going to change from this? And it was at that moment I made a decision that I would never allow myself to be at this place again. And I changed a lot of things in my life. The biggest thing I changed was I became someone that is a strong advocate of self-discipline and self-leadership, because I think that your level of success in business will be directly proportional to the level of self-discipline that you have and the level of personal development that you have. And that is kind of what kickstarted this personal development journey for you, for me. I am now very passionate about self-leadership. Um, everything that I do comes down to self-discipline, self-leadership and habits. And those are the three things that drive all the things that I talk about. And so would that be kind of the lowest of lows for you in your career? Uh, I want to say that was the lowest of lows, but unfortunately, even after reflecting on that lesson, 
uh, the, the practice of self-discipline and uh, taking accountability did not come right away. I had to go a few rungs further down before I finally changed things. Um, and so, I, okay, so let's say you, you're down at that lowest level now. So at that point, was that when you had an epiphany, a moment where you said, you know what, this hurts so much, I'm never coming back here again? Yes. Um, it took it took three of those experiences going down and going, I'm never coming back here to finally go, okay, how do we dig ourselves out of this? And how do we make sure that there's, there's never a point in my life I have this pain? And I think one of the things that drives me is, number one, there's a, there's a vision that I care about. There's this goal that I'm chasing, this thing that I want, and this thing that I want is to spread interesting ideas that help people. It's something yeah. that I care about not necessarily to help people, but I'm the kind of person that enjoys sharing information. So I wanna share the message. But I think a bigger thing is this pain that I'm going away from. I have seen in my life, what happens to you when your level of personal development and self-discipline is not there and how bad your life can yes. get. And I wanna help people avoid yes. that. And so I'm running away from this pain and I'm going towards this vision. And I would say the pain drives me more than the vision that I have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely said. How, just a couple more questions. So for you personally, how, how do you manage the, that work-life balance for, for you to make sure? I don't, I don't really like the, necessarily the term work-life balance because we kind of shift our energy depending on you know, the moments and so forth. But how, how do you manage it to, to get it right for you? Mm. Uh, there's two concepts that I like to think of. Um, the first one is seasons. I think work-life balance happens in seasons. There's certain seasons of my year, certain seasons of my life where I think the tipping skills are more towards one or the other. Um, I know early on in my career when I was just starting this business out, uh, there was no con concept of a work-life balance. I was all in on work. I had a corporate day job and I worked from about, about 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. I would come home, have a conversation with my then girlfriend, now wife over WhatsApp or Skype, I think back then it was Skype uh, for about an hour. And then 7 p.m. to about 2 a.m., I would sit at my desk and I would research and I would write my books. Yep. 2 a.m., uh, I'd realize I was very hungry. I'd call the pizza place downstairs. They knew exactly what I wanted. They'd bring up the Hawaiian pizza. They'll, they'd bring out um, the slice of chocolate cake and the Coke. I'd eat, fall asleep, go to work the next day. And I did that for two years. And those two years, I managed to write I think probably five or six books while working a corporate day job, getting promoted from an assistant to the CEO to being uh, the chief uh, commercial officer, which was an executive position at that company. I was the youngest person. And so in that season, it was all about work. Yeah. Um, when, I, when this business started to take off as well, it was all about work. And now that it's a, at a point where it's relatively successful, I can now shift my focus and I can go, you know what? Now this is a season where I want to spend more time with my daughter. I want to spend the next two years working and building a team that allows me to have the freedom to be able to spend time with my family. So it really depends on what's the season that you're in. There's sometimes where you need to go all in on work. And then there's sometimes where you need to go all in on your family. And being able to shift between the two is an important concept. Yeah, nice. Two more questions. Um, so you mentioned uh, like the habit of, of self-discipline and so forth. Uh, and you said that, well, it took you a while to get in into that habit. 
So what what would you say your your daily practices? Now I'm sure it's just like tying your shoelaces. You just do it. You know you know how to do it. But for people that are like, oh yeah, I would like to be more disciplined. I'd like to make myself more accountable and so forth. What um, what are some of the things you do each day to help with that? And maybe how did you transition from not doing it to doing it? Um, I was looking around because I'm looking for my notebook to show you. Uh, the single most important thing that I do for my self-discipline and for my business and my personal growth is this. I have a notebook. And in that notebook, there's a specific way I organize that first page. At the top is the month. So right now is February 2024. And then going down is the date, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and the day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, there are then, the, next to that is a longer line. And every single day in that space, I write down what is the one highlight I want to achieve this day. Mm -hmm. The daily highlight is a practice of defining. If you did nothing else today and you only accomplished this one thing, what is the one thing that you would be happy to share with your family that you'd feel you actually move the needle on your business? And I identify what is this one thing I want to achieve? And I write down today is the first Friday. Today it is maybe send out 10 sales emails to clients. Next to that, uh, I have several different boxes that I've created and each box is for a specific habit. The first one is, did I wake up early? Second habit is, did I exercise? Third habit is, did I sell? Did I reach out? Did I actually promote my business? Fourth habit is, habit is did I write? Did I create something? And then yep. uh, fifth habit is, did I spend quality time with my daughter? And yep. Every time I succeed at that habit, I, I color it in with a box. And every time I fail, I put it an X. And so I can look at this one page. At the end of the month, I can see what are the most important things I've done? What are my daily highlights? And did I do it or did I fail? And what are my habits? Did I do those habits or did I fail? And for me, it is an accountability mirror. It is a way of looking at myself, looking at my results and going, you know what? I, I did what I said or I failed to do what I said. And I cannot hide away from this because I created the goals. I created the habits. I defined what I wanted to do. And it is completely up to me whether or not I did those things or I did not do those things. Yeah, I love that. Very similar to me. I, I created um, a while ago. I, I was finding that um, I would go through through a period of weeks where I'd be like, oh, you know, you just, everything's working. It's like, you know, you just uh, throw anything at me and you can do it. And I'd find that maybe a week or so would go by and I'd be like, it doesn't feel like I'm getting as much done. And then that week would go into the next week and then I'd stop and say, what the hell? And so I created like a, a similar thing, like a checklist of like 13 different things all for each day of the week. At that point, I left out Saturday and Sunday as I'm doing five days and I'd go through and identify if I do all of these things every day was my day and absolutely cracker. And I found that there were some things that could I didn't do and it was still really good and other things that I needed to put in. Now I don't have to write it down because I, I just automatically do it, but I have an app where I, I track the five outcomes that I want to achieve today. It absolutely comes down to holding yourself to account and I rate my day and similar to you, you like if spending time with my daughter is uh, something that is really important for a particular period of time. I'm making sure I'm connecting every day, all that sort of stuff. Um, then that's how I assess uh, by you know, looking at all the, the things in my checkbox boxes 
has the day been good? Obviously, the foundational things about take that I take for granted, like exercising, sleep, drinking the right amount of water, supplementation, uh, high nutrient uh, nutrient dense food, you know, all that kind of stuff is super important. But as well as growing and doing that learning, focusing on the revenue generating activities, did I do that enough today? All that kind of stuff. So, um, I love where your mind's at. That's a really good advice. Last question. Let's just say that we've got people that are sitting on the fence at the moment that are perhaps thinking about uh, starting a, starting a business, changing career, doing something like that. What would be your advice to them? If you're thinking about starting a business, don't quit your day job. Keep Great your day job. job. Keep your day job. Use your free hours. Use your weekend. Use your time off to start building that business. Uh, whether that's you know, an online business that you can run part-time on the weekend, or whether that's a physical store that you're setting up somewhere where you can take some of the money that you're earning from your day job and hire someone to run that business for you. Keep your day job. Um, and once your day job, once your business starts making enough money to replace your day job income is when you should consider quitting your day job to start the business. Yes. Yep. Great advice. Um, so this has been fantastic today. You've added so much value. Um, before we go, best way for people, I'm going to put some links below here, but first question, best way for people to get in touch with you if they want you to be a keynote speaker uh, to uh, you know get one of your books? Uh, please reach out on akashkaria.com. That's A-K-A-S-H-K-A-R-I-A.com. Uh, scroll down, there's a contact form or send me an email, akash at akashkaria.com. I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Now, I guess one of the challenges when you have 15 books, I think you said, so why, then people are just looking at it and think, what, what, what would be a good one for people to start with? Uh, two books that I recommend, if you're interested in storytelling, influence, public speaking, I recommend this book called TED Talks Storytelling. It's a 50 page book. And if you look at the reviews, the reviews are very mixed. There's a lot of one-star reviews that say this is a terrible book it's a blog post should not be sold as a book there's five-star reviews that say this book is fantastic it's really short it's quick and i like the fact that it doesn't waft on and on if you like books that are incredibly long and that have a lot of a lot of a lot of fluff to them this book is not for you if you're looking for something that will give you just the main tools tips and tactics this book is for you so check that out the second book that I recommend is Emotional Habits, The Seven Things Resilient People Do Differently. Uh, that one was rated by Get Abstract, the book summary service, as nine out of 10, which is, which is I, th I think, really good books have a rating of eight, seven, eight. Uh, so this I was very happy with. Emotional Habits, The Seven Things Resilient People Do Differently. Nice work. I love that title. Really great. Well, you've added so much value here today. I want to give you the uh, the closing words. What would be uh, your favorite quote? I don't have a favorite quote as such, but there's something that Tony Robbins said that always comes to mind whenever I'm going through a challenge. Um, and it's a version of it. That is, if you're going through adversity or difficult time, there's two beliefs that I have. The first one is, Things can get better. And number two, I can make them better. Things can get better. And number two, I can make them better. And I think that is optimism. Things can get better. And number two, it is accountability and 
personal discipline that I will make them better. And that requires you to work on yourself with the belief that things will improve as long as you first improve. Love that. Love that. Well, thank you so much. Everybody that is watching this, please uh, like, share, reach out to Akash, tell him, uh, po post some comments, uh, reach out to him, tell him how much you love the, the podcast and so forth. And make sure that you go to his site, pick up his 15 books, start with those two. And Akash, uh, thank you once again. It's been great to connect with you here today. And uh, thanks for all the value you've added to the audience. Thank you so much, Rob. Appreciate it.